Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. I am sure that you know that a wife can be a husband's most significant asset or she can be his greatest liability. I mean, most of us know this because, well, it is common sense, and we know that people who live with each other, they affect each other, especially those within our homes, and we affect each other for good and for evil. But this is the thing that I am wondering about. How many wives have thought through how much of an asset that they can be to their husbands by coming alongside them to compliment them, to advise them, to share her wisdom with them, and to disciple them even while being submitted to them. I'm talking about a dual role within the marriage, participating in the husband and wife hierarchy as she submits to him, but also living as a co-equal individual. That is of amazing value to any marriage. And I want to talk about how a wife can come alongside as an equal image bearer, assisting, complimenting, discipling, and in some ways using her strengths to lead her husband. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. Please check out our resources. You can find them at lifeovercoffee.com. We have thousands of resources. Did you know that we have a 31-day marriage devotional on our website, in our sanctification center, in our coffee shop? Here is what Vinny said. He wrote in and he said, My new bride and I went through your daily marriage devotionals and now we're going through them again. But going over each daily video for a week, thank you for your resources. They have truly blessed us. Vinny, you are quite welcome. I am glad that God is using our resources to help you, and I want others to know the same thing. And so there is a 31-day marriage devotional. There is a 31-day parenting devotional. And then I made a 31-day teenage devotional for teenagers. By the way, it's just a little bit shorter to bless our teenage friends. And so please, there are 93 devotionals, marriage, parenting, and for teenagers, they're all free to you. Please take advantage of them. All right, so I want to talk about this idea of a wife coming alongside her husband to help him to mature and to become the leader that God is calling him to be. I have titled this, Setting Aside Your Desires to Lead Your Husband. And again, you can go to lifeovercoffee.com and you can read or watch or listen to this valuable resource. Now, I want to give you a big, fat warning here. And here it is. So please listen. If your spouse is physically harming you, my strongest appeal is for you to speak with a competent biblical leader before you act on what I am about to teach. If your husband manipulates you, please talk to someone. I am writing to marriages with what I will call run-of-the-mill problems, not hyperbolic issues where one spouse may harm the other. And it might be good for some of you wives just to shut down the podcast, just stop the video and go no farther because this will not bless you. 
I get the emails. I read from many of our supporters who come uh, to our forums. I know what is going on in some of these lives. I have been counseling for a very long time, and there are some husbands who are just plainly put, they are brutal, and what I am sharing here is not for those marriages. That is on another level, and so that is your warning. Please take heed. Now, for the rest of us who are married, we need to understand, though the Lord calls the wife to a unique role of submission in the marriage, it does not mean she has no leadership capabilities and that she should not use those strengths to bless her husband. And so with this in mind, may I ask you a couple of questions about how you humbly Come alongside, lead your husband by the example that you model in your home. How are you using your gifts, your strengths, your skills, your talents to help your husband to be a better man, to be a better leader? How do you use your God-given insight and wisdom to guide and to mature your husband? I have often asked these questions to wives, and they do not always respond the same way. In fact, I want to give you three typical responses uh, that a woman would say to me when I ask these questions. There is the humble response, there is the angry response, and then there is the victim response. This is what the humble response will say, typically. I didn't know that I could help him lead. Tell me more. The angry response is, why does he need me to help him to do what he should do? The victim response is, why are you putting the weight of his failures in my lap? And so what I want to do here is to tackle the third response first, the victim response. Let me say clearly, if he has failures, they are between him and God and are not your fault. We have a moral responsibility before God not to sin, and it is unacceptable to blame others for what God expects us to do. The point of my questions come from a brother's keeper perspective, not an accusatory one. I am not laying his sin in your lap at all. And if that is what you are hearing, then I would appeal to you to think about how you hear. That's why I labeled it a victim's response. Something has been messing with your thinking, and you might want to address that because I am not accusing you at all. My questions are not about you being culpable regarding what he is doing wrong, but about you living out the gospel in practical and specific ways before God and your husband. Though Christ was not responsible for our sins, he deliberately came alongside us to help us while we were failing miserably. You read this in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was not at fault for what we did wrong, but he saw a need and he found great joy in helping us overcome our problems. Christ realized that our condition was more significant than our ability to fix it. And so he humbled himself to the death on the cross. Now, I am not asking you to do what he did in a literal sense, 
but we must be willing to take up our unique crosses for the sake of others, especially our spouses. You may even recall the story in the Bible about the Good Samaritan that communicates this idea of recognizing a problem and doing what is within our power and our scope to assist. Let me share that story with you. It is Luke chapter 10, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, Jesus answers his question, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said unto him, You go and do likewise. The point of this story is when we see a need, we should seek to respond to that need if we can. This man saw a need, and he decided to set aside his plans for the day and help a fellow struggler. One of the more profound demonstrations of the gospel in a marriage is when a wife is willing to set aside what she wants because of a greater desire to serve her husband so he can become a better leader in the marriage, in the home, in the community. This kind of other-centered attitude is at the heart of the gospel. In fact, it would be good to read Philippians 2 verses 1 through, let's say, uh, through verse number 10. Let me share with you verse number 3. Paul said this, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The Father is appealing to us to set aside our preferences for the greater good of others. And the good news is that dying to ourselves to come alongside a fellow struggler is not the end of the story, and we see that in the life of Jesus. He died to help us, and in time, we know that he will thoroughly enjoy the fruit of his sacrifice with millions of people who have accepted the gospel. It can be easy for a wife to lose this Christocentric gospel focus because of the difficulties and demands of being a wife to an exasperating man. Let me repeat, I have read the emails, I have counseled scores and scores of these marriages, and I know that it can be exasperating. And for all of you men who are, who are listening to this or watching the video, it goes both ways, and I know that you're wanting me to say that. Wives can be exasperating too. In fact, I would encourage you to flip all of this around, you men, you husbands out there, and make the same applications to your wives. Set aside your desire, even if it is a good desire, and die to yourself. Pick up your cross and be Christ to your wife. And so whether it's a husband being the good Samaritan to the wife, a struggling neighbor who you happen to be married to, or if it's a wife living with an exasperating man. The dawning awareness of how the husband is not what she hoped he would be, 
It can be disappointing, frustrating. Sometimes it can even be overwhelming. I mean, perhaps she spent most of her young life waiting for her prince to come. My wife is from Erie, Pennsylvania, and she lives several minutes from Lake Erie, Lake Erie up on a hill. And she used to tell me she would go to the end of her driveway and, and prop against a rock, and she could see Lake Erie out there, and she would watch the sunset, and she would pray. <laughs> she would pray for her prince charming to show up. These were part of her teenage years. Well, a few years later, he did show up. Why? It was, it was me. And she married him only to be surprised at the revelation of what she did not know during the dating season, which came shortly after the honeymoon. Her hope for a good marriage had more control over her than God's call to model a Christ-like example to a challenging person. And I was that challenging person. And many of you husbands could say yes and amen. Me too. I mean, who has not had this experience? Husbands, you have had that with your wives too. Instead of working toward maturing the marriage through a wife's humility, a wife's wisdom, a wife's strengths, a wife's practical help, Sometimes her dashed hopes will overpower her and interfere with what God could have done through her, and this is my appeal to all of us today. She can become entangled by what she wanted versus what God could do. She responded in anger toward her husband, and that we cannot do to our spouses. Of course, the standard retort is, to these appeals that I am making, typically runs along the lines of, you don't know my husband. Well, of course I don't. You would be correct. I don't know anyone's husband the, the, the way a wife knows her husband. I don't live with these husbands. But I think I can honestly and biblically assume that your husband is somewhat like me. And if perchance he is like me, his temptations are, can be generally selfish. And sometimes he doesn't succumb to those temptations. And other times he does succumb to them. And when he does succumb, it can cause unsavory responses, causing insensitivity and stubbornness, among a few other things, if he is like me, which I'm sure he is. And so I don't know your husband, but maybe perhaps leveling the playing field would be helpful. Do you sin? in response to some of your husband's behaviors? If you do, then this is where you need to begin leading him. Nobody can righteously make a case for sinning against someone regardless of what they have done to them. And if you have sinned against your husband because of his sin against you or some general thick-headed thing that he did, which we are apt to do, then you have found the right place to begin leading him. And you can do this through humble confession of your sin and seeking God's forgiveness and seeking his forgiveness too. How wonderful could that be for him? I mean, imagine for a moment, if he needs to repent, then lead him by your example of repentance. Don't complicate his problem by piling on his problem with your problem. He sins and you send in response. You complicate the pre-existing issue. I mean, isn't this how we parent our children? 
We teach our children through our example because we know that a picture is worth a thousand words. Imagine what a clear representation of the humble Christ would look like to a person who desperately needs a clear representation of a humble Christ. These people, these husbands in this case, they need to see Jesus in somebody's life, and you can lead by your example. Of course, the temptation is to focus more on what our marriages are not giving us, been there, done that, rather than regularly providing what our marriages need, which is our Christ-like examples. Do you know how to serve your husband this way? God has repeatedly used my wife's strengths throughout our marriage to help me to be a better husband and a better leader. She has been a remarkable, practical example of Christ's actions in Philippians chapter 2 that I was referencing earlier. Again, just reading through those first 11, 12 verses would be fantastic. Lucia has on many occasions set aside her preferences to quietly and courageously lead me to a greater understanding of who Christ is and how to emulate Him in my own life. Her posture has convicted me of sin while motivating me to be a better leader in our home. And then somebody will come back and say, What if I do all this and my husband does not change? It's a possibility. But that should not be our first question that we should ask. The first thought should be, why am I doing this for our marriage? What is my motive? Do you model Christ before your husband primarily because you want him to change? Or do you model Christ because you want to honor God regardless of what your husband may do? There is a possibility that your husband will never change. It's just true. We know it's true. I mean, we have family members or we have extended relatives. We have friends that we know that we have been praying for forever, and they have not changed. We have people who have died, and they have never changed. It happens, and there is a possibility that your spouse may never change. A story in the Bible is about a rich young man who would not change. When he encountered the Savior, Jesus asked him to sell all he had and to follow him. Luke 18.23 says it like this, But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, I do not know what happened to this man. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to this man. But what we do know is what happened to Jesus. He kept being Jesus even when others around him would not emulate and follow his example. God gives grace to the humble. And if you walk in the humility of Christ, even when you're not getting all you want, you will be repeatedly surprised by his grace. I wish I could tell you something different, but I can't. I talk to people weekly who want better marriages, better children, better parents. They want a better life. Sometimes it does not work out the way they want. That is the reality of the fallen world in which we live. But there are some things that you can do, even when others will not cooperate with your desires. 
I had a friend give me a piece of advice in 1989, and I have never forgotten it. He said this, quote, I can't make you love me, but you can't stop me from loving you. He shared this during a season when I desperately wanted my wife to change her mind about our relationship. She never changed her mind. And I I fully felt the helplessness of our unchangeable situation. My friend's advice became invaluable. Now, I didn't implement in and implement it in my life immediate, immediately. It took time, and I want you to hear that. The things that I am sharing here will be very hard for some people to implement, so expect failure. I'm okay with that, as long as you keep getting up. And in time, you can implement these things in your life, in your marriage, and in time, I did. I never got over what I wanted, and And I learned not to let that disappointment manage me. I never got what I wanted is what I meant to say. Our situation never changed. I never got what I wanted. But I had to learn not to let that disappointment manage me. I have since thought about it, thought about his advice this way. I'm going to paraphrase John 3.16 for you as a way of trying to communicate what he said to me, God so loved the world that he was bound and determined to lavish the world with his son, even if the world did not reciprocate. His love was so profound that he gave his one and only son to save a bunch of unlovable people. And by doing this, he left the door open for anyone to accept his love. If they did respond to his grace, great. If they did not, Their rejection would not alter his love for them. In Hebrews, one of my favorite verses is in 4.13. It says, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked, all are exposed to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. And so the first question that we must ask ourselves is, why do we want to disciple a husband, or a spouse lovingly. What is our motive? Do you want to help him so that you can have a great marriage? Now, that is a good and biblical desire. I'm not throwing shade on it. I am prioritizing it. It is not the primary reason for coming alongside our spouses. Do you want to lovingly guide him because you want to make God's name great most of all? That is the primary motive. This is what Paul was getting at. Whether you eat or drink or lead your spouse, do it all for the glory of God. That is the best reason. If your motive is not primarily for God's fame, God's glory... You must do the necessary hard work before you can go to the next step of working on your marriage because if we get our motives twisted, let's say that that the only reason that I'm even attempting to be Christ to my wife is because I want my spouse to change. And let's say that your spouse never changes, changes, well then that is a conditional work relationship that you have. I am doing this to get this result. Well, what if you never get that result? And that's why you need a transcendent motive. And that transcendent motive is I am going to do this for God's fame, God's glory, regardless of the results. I'm going to pray for a part 
particular specific kind of result. But if I don't get those results, I'm not driven by that because that is not my primary motivation. And so you may need to spend time with the Father to adjust your thinking for the challenging task ahead. Do not skip this vital step. What is your motive? Ask God to give you the grace for, or ask God to give you the grace to love a not so lovable man. The Father will provide you with the favor, the empowering favor, the grace, if you ask with the right motivation. Do not think that God cannot perceive your heart's motives. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we must give an account. He knows our intentions. I mean, you may be able to fool others by putting on a happy face and saying all the right words, but you cannot deceive God. All things are naked and visible. If you think what I'm asking you to do is more challenging than your ability to carry it out, then you would be correct. This is how it works. I mean, sadly for us, I think, at least in the beginning, because God calls us to work beyond our ability. So we can learn to stop relying on ourselves, and we can choose to rely on Him who can raise the dead. Speaking with a spiritual leader in your local church would be ideal as you make the appropriate changes in your thinking. Do not be afraid to seek help. Some of you ladies, I would recommend that you find a courageous and wise Titus II mentor. That could prove invaluable to you. If you have humbly appealed to him to change and he has not responded, let him know that you plan to speak with a church leader about these matters. You will not sin against him. You will not sin against God if you choose this course of action. But let me iterate. Whatever your course of action may be, you cannot sin against your husband. Perhaps this is where you should begin before you do anything else. And should you sin against him, which you probably will, I mean, I do, we do. Sadly, it's a part of our fallenness that we don't get what we want. We are disappointed by it. We sin against our spouses and our friends because of that. Well, when we do, then the next thing should be we quickly repent to God and to him. You may be surprised at how your humility changes the environment in your home. I've titled this, Setting Aside Your Desires to Lead Your Husband. Every wife hearing this is in a different place in their marriage. And so let me go back to the warning that I began with. Let biblical wisdom rule your heart as you apply these truths to your life and marriage. For some of these women, their husbands are cruel, they are manipulative, they are harmful. These ladies need to find help immediately because what I am suggesting here is not applicable. But for the rest, I have a few questions that I would love for you to consider. Number one, what is the condition of your marriage? And one of the things that I'm asking, a subset inside that question is, is your husband teachable? Do you believe that God has regenerated him? No matter what he is today, do you think that he has had a regenerative experience with God? And the reason I'm asking that question, I was meeting with a pastor a number of years ago, and 
uh, let's just say that he was an angry man. Well, he was an angry man. And we, we would get into these, it, it, it was argumentative and it was difficult, it was challenging, it was like pulling teeth. But here's the thing that I knew. I fully believe that this man was a Christian. And I knew somewhere back there, eventually, uh, the Holy Spirit was going to convict him. Now, we went through the weeds, we went through the jungle, we went through the mud uh, to get to that spot. But I, I saw it several times where his way of working through things was argumentation. It's not my way, it's his way. And I had to meet him like on the mat. This is, this is how he worked things out. And I was the one that was helping him at that season to work things out. And he was a very angry, argumentative man. But what I saw several times is eventually the light would come on. Eventually, uh, the Holy Spirit would just convict him. And that gave me hope. And this is what Paul was saying in Philippians 1.6. What God has begun, he is going to complete. And I, I fully believe that this man, this pastor, was a Christian. And even though things were hard to work through, and we both sinned against each other, and though things were hard to work through, I knew at some point this light is going to come on, and I saw it several times. And so I'm asking you, do you believe that God has regenerated him? Question number two and I think I've just answered this question, but I'm asking it. Question number two, why is it essential to know? Your husband is born again, even if your assessment is subjectively derived. And what I mean by subjective, subjectively derived is that none of us can really know if a person is born again. And so all of our assessments are subjectively derived. But I do want you to, to understand that is this an evangelistic thing that you need to do because you really don't see the fruit of the Spirit anywhere in his life and you haven't? Or... Uh, he is a caught person, like what Paul said in Galatians 6.1. And, and the Holy Spirit is operative, though he may have dulled his conscience, though he may have grieved the Spirit, though he may have quenched the Spirit, but you believe the Spirit is there. You need that ally in him to come alongside and cooperate with God in what he's doing in that person's life. And so why is it important to know if your husband or your spouse has been born again? Now, if it's not, if, if your spouse is not, you believe they're not, then it's, these things still apply, but you're working and recognizing that it's more evangelistic than it is working on his sanctification. Number three, will you call upon the Spirit of God to work in his heart? And make this your regular practice before you start applying these things in your marriage. You want to do what Paul did in First Corinthians, in First Corinthians chapter one, that he was praying for the Corinthians before he ever talked to the Corinthians, and you want to do that as well. Call upon the Spirit of God. You have an active agent working on your behalf, and if that active agent is inside of him, he is a spiritual person born from above, then you want to plead with the Spirit of God to go before you and do that work before you do uh, anything, practically speaking, other than praying for him. Number four, who will you call on to help you think clearly about applying these truths? I'm asking this question because it's common for a wife to have or a spouse to have cloudy judgment regarding their marriage. 
We can be too close to uh, the trees that we not see the forest. And our desires for that, our spouses to change can be so intense that it can cloud our judgment, making it vital to have a clearer set of eyes looking in on this and helping us. And so consider who has courage, who has compassion, who has competency that can speak into this, see with another set of eyes because you're so close to it. Who is that person? Will you call on them? Then finally, number five, what one thing will you start doing today based on all that I've said? I've titled this, Setting Aside Your Desire to Lead Your Husband. You can find that title at lifeovercoffee.com. You can read what I've just shared with you. You can hear it, and you can watch it. Read, watch, and listen. Also, for those of you who are interested in more in-depth training on how to do the work of discipleship, I would encourage you to take a look at our Mastermind program. It is a two- to three-year self-paced study course. It's all online, so there's no travel whatsoever. There's a lot of information on it at lifeovercoffee.com. And if this is a good season for you to do an in-depth, long-term study, two or three years, depending on your pace, uh, this would be an excellent study course for you. As many people have testified who have taken it, those who are taking it now, this is an excellent course for the right person in the right season. And so read all about it. We've answered pretty much all of your questions at lifeovercoffee.com. After you work through that, if you have any other questions, please uh, get in touch with us and, and we will follow up with you and see if this is a good fit for you. Setting aside your desires to lead your husband, Thank you so much, and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.